Thank you all for coming. Uh, for those of you who are first timers, my name is Jenny Lee. I'm the director of the Center of the Study of Higher Ed, and we are excited to be on, uh, sponsoring this colloquium on higher education and the new economy. And we have a very special guest for this afternoon. It's my honor to introduce Tim B. Tim was elected to the Arizona State Senate in 2001, where he served as the Senate Majority Leader from 2003 to 2006. Tim most recently served as the Senate State President, the first from Southern Arizona since 1974. He represented both rural and urban areas of Southern Arizona. He received numerous honors and recognitions from business, education, and health communities, parent organizations, and conservation groups. Currently, Mr. B is serving as the Director of the Southern Arizona Office of Governor Jan Brewer. It's with great pleasure uh, that I may introduce Kim B, and let's welcome him. Well, thank you, everyone. It's a privilege to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm a former alumni of U of A myself, a student here years ago, and I look at the students now, and I think, wow, they weren't even born when I was here. That's kind of a frightening thought. Um, but it's great to be here. And what my goal today is, is I want to kind of paint for you a picture of what's happened with our, our state budget over the last uh, really a few years, but some of the things that have happened go back even further, and then kind of touch on uh, where we are and, and what we see coming up ahead, and particularly I'll talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming uh, election for Proposition 100 and why we believe that's important that that passes. So probably one of our biggest challenges in dealing with the budget crisis has been that it's difficult, uh, we believe, for for the public to have fully understood uh, the magnitude of the problem. And being in the governor's office now for just a little over a year, uh, the number one call that we've had has been, why are the rest stops closed? Rest stops are important, we agree, but when you look at the magnitude of what we're faced with, for that to be the number one call uh, has, been, has been very surprising to us. The second call we've had on our radar screen is, why are we talking about changing the signs on I-19 from metric to miles? And so those are the things that, that we've been hearing back from folks as, as we've been through this process. And, and it's really important that all of us, not just those of us who are in the public eye, but all of us, uh, help educate those around us as to the size and scope of this problem and why it's very important that we, we have some reasonable solutions to solve it. And uh, about, well, it's been almost a year ago now, uh, last May, uh, I was in the job now there was a four or five months, and uh, for those of you who may not know, I, after serving in the Senate, I had run for Congress last year and lost, uh, but I was uh, parked by the side of the road checking my Blackberry, and, and uh, this individual comes running up uh, to my car, and she's out jogging, and uh, she stopped me and waved and said, hey, Tim, how you doing? You know, I voted for you. What are you doing now? I said, well, I'm working for the governor, and she says, well, I'm mad at her, and I said, well, why? And she said, well, you know, she's proposed education cuts. And I said, do you realize that the governor is the one who's trying to mitigate those education cuts by proposing a sales tax? And she says, well, we can't have a sales tax. And I looked at her and I said, how do you want us to pay for the things that you want government to do without the revenues to pay for them? And she just said, well, that's her problem. <laughs> and off she ran. And the truth is, it's not just the governor's problem. This is a problem for all of us in Arizona. It's a problem that all of us have to work to solve because the decisions that are being made, the situation in the economy is going to impact each and every one of us. So if we could go on to the first slide, basically what I want to cover today is you know, 
what's the problem, how did we get here, and what action has the state taken? And this slide presentation was prepared for January. We have an updated one coming out, and I'm sorry it's not ready for today. So I may skip some of these slides and cover some of that stuff uh, just by discussing it. If we go on to the next slide. Um, well, we've had, we have a current year deficit problem we're dealing with. We've had an ongoing cash flow problem uh, that the state's been dealing with. And then we've had the structural deficit. That's the, the built-in difference between the revenues that we have coming in and what our uh, mandatory expenditures are. Let's get this one. This is old news. Um, so basically, after last year's budget was done, where the legislature cut about a billion dollars of spending and they borrowed significantly to cover the budget, um, they came in to this, the middle of the year, December, we have a fiscal year that runs from July uh, 1st through June 30th. We came into the middle of the year with a, another a billion four in deficit. And what we're looking at for this next year is 3.2 billion. So to put that in perspective, I'm gonna give you some very rough numbers here, um, just so you can kind of get the picture. If you were thinking about pie chart, the budget just before all this happened was about $10 billion. So to make it simple, let's say K-12 was about 50% of that. It's actually slightly less, but just to make it simple, let's say it's about 50%. Access, our healthcare cost containment system, was about 20% of that. So that's 70% of the budget in two items. Then Department of Corrections was about 10% or about a billion dollars. The funding for the universities out of that pie was about 10% or a billion dollars. And all 150 other smaller state agencies fit in that last billion dollars. So you're talking, you know, most of the budget lands in just a handful of areas of where we spend our money. And I'll get into a little bit more about the voter protections later, but in looking at that budget pie, uh, you know, access and education are largely voter protected. So in trying to solve the problem, when you have a $3.2 billion deficit to solve, and you have about 30% of the budget that falls in the unprotected categories, you would virtually have to eliminate everything in the budget that's not under those two categories of access and, and K-12 education. So that basic scenario there, which like I said is very rough, uh, is the challenge that we have had to face as a state in trying to resolve this problem. So we go to the next one. So basically, they are trying to solve this problem. The only point I'll make off of this slide is that by the December, we were 46% short for the revenues that we needed for the rest of the year to cover the spending that had been appropriated. So huge problem to try and solve. The structural deficit, and I'll show you some slides here in a minute to kind of depict exactly what that looks like. But when you have a misalignment of almost three and a half to four billion dollars that goes on into the future, it means you have to have some real structural changes to solve the problem. Borrowing and patching over the problem can only last for a certain time before you exhausted all those options. So this slide here kind of paints the picture. Uh, if you look back in 2002, the pink line represents our revenues to the state. You can see that there was rapid growth, unprecedented growth uh, in the mid-2000s. So our peak was in 2007 um, with just under $10 billion of revenue to the state. Uh, you can see that the crash started and uh, you know, the dotted lines mean it actually hasn't occurred yet. That means that's what's projected. So projecting that we hit the low point in 2010 and we start to recover and you see a return, which this could be optimistic, we hope it's not, but it could be optimistic. We return to historic growth patterns for the state, which are about seven, 
seven and a half percent. And so the bottom line is where the revenues go if we experience uh, that kind of recovery. Uh, the dark blue line that you see, uh, that, that's our expenditure line for the state. You can see it drops off in 2010 slightly. That represents both the cuts in spending that have occurred, but also the infusion of about a billion dollars of federal stimulus money. So the actual spending of the state didn't go down by that much, but that reflects the general fund spending. And the top line, the lighter blue line, that represents the actual spending of the state. So you can see that it returns to a pattern that keeps it growing far into the future. And the structural deficit is essentially the difference between our revenues, the lower line, and what we're obligated to spend, which is the upper line. Cash flow has been a big problem for the state. Uh, we essentially, historically, have had about a billion dollars, let's go to the next slide too, because that depicts it, uh, in the Treasury to pay our operating expenses. So as of last summer, July, we had about $400 million in the Treasury, and you can see by the end of the calendar year, December, we were uh, below $800 million. We were negative in the, in the fund. So what did we do? Well, the state got a line of credit through Bank of America. Uh, that line of credit was issued and used almost immediately, about $700 million. Uh, it's been an ongoing uh, situation where state flex revenue pays Bank of America line of credit off, so they then recalculate and loan us the money again. And then the treasurer also has the opportunity to borrow against other funds that are invested in the treasurer's account. So if you're a municipality in Arizona and you don't have your own investment uh, through your city, they can invest through the treasurer's office and the treasurer can borrow against those funds. The state has to pay back with interest, of course. Uh, but that's how they manage the cash flow uh, through the end of the year. And in the special session, the legislature took some actions that both reduced spending a little bit and then uh, authorized additional K-12 rollover payments, which I'll talk more about later. And uh, they also uh, reauthorized the state lottery and are borrowing against the revenue stream for the next 10 years on that to fill in the hole for this year. Um, so, go on to the next one. How did we get here? I think this is a topic I'm going to cover in the how did we get here section. One, the economy uh, obviously is a big player in this. It's outside of uh, most of our control. Uh, tax, tax cuts, increased spending, uh, decisions by the state, constraints imposed by voters, and constraints imposed by the federal government. So, lots of different ways you can look at what's going on with the economy, but we thought a good indicator of that and working with economists here at the University of Arizona, uh, job loss is something that kind of paints a picture for us of where we are. Uh, so since 2007, state of Arizona lost 280,000 jobs. Next slide shows what that looks like. If you look at all the squeaky little lines here at the top, that represents prior recessions in Arizona's history and the job loss. The line that you see dropping off uh, to the bottom, that represents the job loss in the current uh, recession pretty staggering uh, to see that and to realize that it's, it's of that magnitude. Uh, we were at our peak jobs in 2007. They're predicting that it will take until 2014 to return to that uh, employment level. Uh, so basically uh, a seven-year uh, span of time just to recover to where we were. Uh, before the recession hit, right before it, in fact, we had some of the largest tax cuts in Arizona's history enacted. We had uh, an act of a 10% income tax cut, numerous uh, business tax cuts, property tax suspensions. Um, all of these things contributed to the amount of revenue the state had when the downturn hit. So 
For those of you who uh, believe that the tax cuts help stimulate the economy, under normal circumstances, I would probably agree with you and say those things would have happened. But since it hit at the same time as the recession, the opportunity for those effects of those tax cuts did not occur, and instead meant a dramatic, you know, loss of revenue to the state, about a billion and a half dollars. Um, a couple things here on the bottom side to take note of. One, sales tax is always your most volatile tax. So in a downturn, you expect that your sales tax is going to be the first thing to drop off. Income tax is the more stable tax. Um, in this situation, you can see while our uh, TPT or sales tax is down just 22%, we've lost 38% of income tax cuts, and corporate income tax is about 57% uh, down. So I'm going to intercept a slide that I don't have in the presentation, and I want you to kind of picture where our revenue comes from. Um, and these are very rounded numbers also, um, and they've changed since the downturn. So the numbers I'm quoting you are what they would have been prior to the downturn. So approximately 40% of our revenue came from sales tax, approximately 40% came from income tax. You have about 10% come from corporate tax collections, and about 10% of our revenue came from fees. Uh, so if you're you know, paying a license fee or something to one of the state agencies, that's where that piece of the pie came from. So, and property tax has been suspended for three years. Property tax returned last year. Uh, that was a three-year suspension. The uh, legislature tried to make that permanent. Governor uh, Brewer uh, vetoed that, and that returned a property tax. But that property tax collection is only about $250 million. So it's a very small percentage of that budget pie I was just describing to you. A lot of the property tax uh, reductions occurred uh, my understanding is back in the 90s, and so decisions that were made by prior administrations over time have resulted in a, a revenue structure for the state that's much more volatile uh, than what you would normally like to see when you talk about the three-legged uh, stool of revenue for a state. You have your property taxes, which are your most stable income and sales. Uh, so that's impacted us. Um, corporate income tax, I understand now, is only about 8% of our revenue, so they've lost the percentage of the piece of the pie and probably because they're down by such a large percentage. Um, this is just a graph that depicts the sales tax uh, line and how it's declined by 34% in just a three-year period. So then we also took on added spending during the time. So you've got massive growth in revenues uh, fueled by the economy when this was going on. You had legislature and governor at that time accepting uh, or adopting uh, reduced reductions in tax collections, and then you also had increases in spending that occurred. Um, I'll go into more detail about the voter mandates that, that have increased spending on another slide, but uh, a, a number of decisions uh, were added to grow the obligations of the state general fund. Uh, you, you had a, a shift of support uh, from local property taxes to the state for K-12. Um, you had the state assuming responsibility for the construction of schools as a result of a lawsuit. You had building renewal assumptions as a result of a lawsuit against the state that we assumed. Um, access expanded dramatically, and I'll go more into that. Um, but all of those things grew the budget at a tune of about $600 million a year uh, during uh, the last uh, six years uh, prior to the recession. And so just an example of uh, the truth in taxation formula uh, for local property. Uh, the rate in 1998 was 440. You can see in, in 2010 is 274. The shift of that 
meant the state picked up about $700 million of obligations for our schools. So some people have been out there saying, well, why, if we are at the revenue collection numbers of 2002 or 2003 or 2004, they use different numbers all the time, why don't we just go back and adopt the budgets from those years? Well, if you look at what's happened in the state since that time, that's not a practical solution. Uh, you know, think about K-12 alone. Almost 122,000 new students in the K-12 system. That's a billion dollars of cost. If you want to break that down, and just generically, you could assume that that's about 5,000 classrooms. University enrollment up almost 20,000. Department of Corrections up almost 11. And probably the biggest increase in populations in the state is access during that time uh, with 475,000 new enrollees, uh, which are, uh, you know, when they show up and they qualify, and the state uh, provides them that service. That's an obligation of the state as per uh, voter initiative. So you look at all those things, and in order to roll back to those or adopt budgets from those years, you would literally have to roll back the population to those years. So that's not a practical solution. Uh, this slide here depicts uh, the access enrollment. Uh, in 2002, uh, that was slightly after the legislature had, or the voters had approved the expansion of access. So you can see initially there was uh, some growth in the population because more people qualified. And then you can see there was somewhat stability and a leveling off during the good times uh, when access was fairly stable. And then you can see when the downturn started in July of 07, that the enrollment in access has absolutely uh, spiked to unprecedented uh, enrollment. So in solving the problem, you think about how would uh, you go about doing this if you were a business or if you were some other entity that deals with expenditures and income, well, most people with businesses would try to solve the problem by one, bringing in more business, increasing their revenues, and they would also try to do this by cutting their expenses. Well, two things imposed by the voters of Arizona have made that very challenging at the legislative level. Proposition 108 was passed, which required the two-thirds majority to increase revenues uh, through uh, the legislature, which is very hard to do, particularly since uh, more than a third of the legislature has signed pledges that they will not increase revenues. So that has become a real challenge in trying to solve that part of the problem. And on the other side, you have Proposition 105, and I'm not debating the merits of the things that have passed. That's not my intent today. Um, voters have different feelings about those. But my intent is to show that these things that have passed have taken up pieces of the budget pie and bigger pieces than what the revenue is there to support them. And Basically, how this came into being, my understanding is uh, there were two ballot measures put by the people, I believe it was in the 90s, to legalize medical marijuana in Arizona. Both of those ballot measures passed. The legislature overturned both of them. Following that, there was a, a ballot measure run called the Voter Protection Act, Proposition 105, which basically establishes that anything passed by the voters of the state of Arizona, the legislature does not have the authority to change except to further its purpose. So following the passage of the Voter Protection Act, two ballot measures were passed that had a major impact on the spending by the state. And once again, I don't want to debate the merits of these things. I probably voted for some of them myself and supported them, and probably many of you did as well. One of them was Proposition 301, the Education Sales Tax, which raised a six-tenth of a cent to raise additional money for education. 
It also said that that money could not be used to supplant uh, funding by the state. And it also required a 2% increase per year. So those components uh, basically voter protected the majority of the K-12 budget and had the required uh, spending each year. So that's where about half the budget becomes voter protected under K-12. The other piece of that was the access expansion. Prop 204 uh, moved from the federal government establishes a federal poverty level, an income level that they deem as a federal poverty level. And in the state, back prior to passage of Prop 204, funded health insurance for the indigent at 33% of that poverty level. So if your income level was at 33% of the federal poverty level, you were eligible for state access. Prop 204 expanded that to 100%. So when that happened, that added uh, that infusion of, of new enrollees uh, to the access program, uh, and essentially that's constitutionally protected now and as people qualify and enroll, it's funded. And so those two things together have, have really uh, made it difficult to try and say, if you know, someone were to say that the best way to solve the problem would be to give everybody a, a small percentage cut across the board. Um, this, those two things make it difficult to be able to solve it through that approach. So next slide. Um, there's also been restrictions that have been placed on the state as a result of accepting the federal stimulus dollars. So when the state agreed last year to accept a billion dollars plus of funding to help us close our budget gap and protected spending programs, it also said you have to maintain uh, spending levels at maintenance of effort. So they set the, the bar at the 2006 year in many areas and said you cannot cut below this. Go on. Get this one, um, and let's get this one. This one is the one for uh, the 2011 budget. This slide here depicts where the pots of money are that we spend our money, and it also depicts both in the lighter blue color that would be the percentage of those pieces of the budget pie that are voter protected or protected by federal stimulus money, and the I guess on this slide looks more like a purple color. Um, those are the areas that are unprotected. So if you want to study this a little bit, you can see largely the education, access, university, those are all pieces of the pie that have some pretty uh, big voter protection. So if you were to add up all of the purple areas, that would total $3.2 billion. Those are all the unprotected funds. That's exactly the same amount that we are predicting to be short for next year. So if you were to solve this budget problem just with cuts alone, that was the only solution you wanted to enact, and you wanted to have a balanced budget, which they have to have, you would virtually have to eliminate everything in state government that's up there in purple. So that would mean closing the Department of Correction, closing all 150 smaller state agencies, uh, not paying our debt service bills, and having some significant reductions uh, to the unprotected funds in K-12 uh, universities, access and health services. So that also becomes not a very viable solution as cuts being the only option. Uh, that's just re- uh, State what the amounts of the protected funds are. Um, this slide here was meant to show what some of those smaller state agencies are that fall into that last category. Our Kyle Judiciary System, the Department of Juvenile Corrections, the Legislature, our Department of Public Safety, our Total Law Enforcement uh, for the Highways for the State, um, our Revenue Agency, and then many of the uh, programs for uh, children dealing with, with health care and the DD, the state mental hospital, uh, those are some of the areas that fall into that unprotected category. I'll go on to the next one. 
Um, we have what's called the funding cliff because we had, and, and you saw it on that slide earlier where uh, the two lines, where the, the line dipped down, but I told you the expenditures were up at the top blue line. Uh, this shows what essentially was funded by those federal stimulus dollars. And when the federal stimulus dollars expire, either we have to come up with the state the money to fill in for those dollars, or those are cuts that will occur. And this is basically a, a, a outlines for you exactly uh, what those pay for and what will happen. Let's go on. Uh, what action has the state taken today? This might be a little outdated. Okay, this one talks about what the legislature has done uh, to try and avoid one, not being able to fund mandatory programs they're expected to fund, and at the same time also not to have to increase revenues. Uh, this is really a picture of the one-time options that have been used to fill in for the state spending. And it, this number, this is, this is out of date now, this number is much higher. Uh, it's over $7 billion now. And I'll, I'll point to a couple of areas that I think should be of note. One, uh, both K-12 and university systems are experiencing rollovers. What that means is the last payment for the year, or in this case now multiple payments for the year, have been deferred until the next year. It's called a rollover. So instead of paying your bill in June, we're going to pay it in July. And so it moves that expense off the books. And so what's happened now is, and I'm, I'm most familiar with K-12, the dollar amounts, they've now moved uh, three payments into next year. So K-12 will get their March payment, but April, May, and June uh, will not be paid to them until the following year. So that creates a cash flow management situation for the district. Uh, districts can do, they can manage it, they have warrants that they can issue, but uh, that's one of the things they've done. Uh, the budget stabilization fund, which was our rainy day account, the governor's office would argue it was never large enough to begin with, but that fund was really spent uh, before the downturn really hit. Uh, that $710 million has been utilized. Um, I want to jump down to, uh, you can see there's some other rollovers in there, there's been bonding for new construction, uh, there's been some bookkeeping things that they, that they call a midnight reversion. Uh, you can see the federal funds have, uh, over the years added about $2.2 billion to fill in. Uh, probably, oh, and then last year they came in and uh, utilized school districts who had excess balances. They made them spend those down before giving them additional money. And probably the one that's uh, the most uh, interesting is the sale lease back of our state buildings, which that's a $735 million. That's now over a billion dollars. So basically what that package looks like, um, the legislature chose to go in and uh, take out a lease purchase agreement against uh, the majority of our state assets, state capital, prisons, uh, whatever buildings we own that we're free and clear to borrow against. And you know that's going to cost us, uh, estimates are, close to $3 billion to pay back. The, the note is going to take 20 years. And so if you think about managing it, um, well, I'm 40 this year, I'm going to be 60 when these things are paid off. My 14-year-old daughter is going to be 34. Um, these options have been utilized to their capacity and probably beyond what they should have been. And like I said, these numbers now are over this because in addition to this, they added the uh, continuation of the lottery, which they capture the revenue stream from the lottery for the next 10 years. Uh, for the state general fund. So they're gonna borrow all that this year and then pay it back. And so there's been an extensive use of one-time options. I'll tell you, there are not very many one-time options left that could be utilized to solve the current budget crisis. Let's 
go on. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about those agencies that fall into the unprotected category or agencies that have unprotected funds. And I'm sorry, there's a mistake on this slide. I've been saying this for months and I should have had it fixed. Uh, the K-12 number is not accurate. Uh, obviously not 101% of the funds have been cut. But um, more specifically, if you look at uh, DES, uh, that agency, Department of Economic Security, over 53% of their estate dollars have been reduced. Um, Department of Health Services, 27% corrections. Their unprotected funds, 43%. So you look at uh, what has been done today, and it's not as if difficult decisions have not been made already. Difficult decisions have been made. And many of these agencies are at the point where additional revenue cuts will impair their ability to, to provide core public services and core public safety. And, and I think it's important to note, altogether, you know, your 32% of the non-protected funds have already been reduced. And this is prior to the budget that was just enacted. Okay, this is, this is a summary that was used a while ago. So, essentially, since that presentation was prepared, and what's happened now is the legislature has enacted another budget. So our total cuts now are $2.2 billion. Many of you have read about these things in the paper and, and what they mean, and a lot of the decisions were made were made because those programs or agencies fell into the parts of the budget that are not voter protected or not protected by the federal stimulus dollars. So the governor has been very upfront from the very beginning uh, of last year. It's been a year now since she gave her address to the legislature that she felt that it was extremely important that we have some additional revenue to bridge this downturn in our economy. And Jan Brewer, our governor, has served in public office now for 28 years. She has never personally advocated or voted for a tax increase. And we hope that the fact that she has come forward with this now sends a strong signal to people who, who are concerned about this and have questions about it that this is really needed. This isn't because we don't believe we can't solve the problem some other way. I hope I've demonstrated for you through the presentation that measures have been taken that have been uh, significant. And so essentially what the sales tax is, is going to be a three-year temporary tax, a one-cent sales tax. The election is May 18th. The legislature uh, has already enacted, it's called a trigger mechanism, the cuts that will occur if the sales tax fails. Uh, well, the point I wanted to make, too, is that the sales tax, it actually states in the ballot measure the termination date for it. So we've had you know, people say, well, once you enact the tax, it never goes away. Um, that was not true in this case. It very clearly states expiration. That expiration is voter protected. So just to give you an idea, the sales tax is anticipated to raise about a billion dollars, uh, slightly less than that for the state. and uh, to paint a picture for you a little bit of some of the areas that will be cut, if, if it doesn't pass, you're talking about $428 million to K-12. That's about an additional 10% cut for them. So some, you know, some people look at that and say, well, 10% cut's not that much, they should take it. But if you put together the aggregate of the reductions that have already occurred, and you know, I talked to you about the deferment of the three payments, so you have cash flow issues for the district, uh, building renewal has been suspended. Uh, you have um, soft capital that's been suspended, which is their money for textbooks, school buses, and some other programs. So if you pull all of those numbers together, you're talking about 20% reduction. These will be significant cuts to K-12 
Uh, different districts will enact them in different ways. If, if the voters decide that they don't want to, uh, that they want these cuts to occur, the individual school districts will have to decide how they plan to enact those. Uh, but I can tell you, um, some of the conversations I've heard, it, it ranges everything from you know, elimination, elimination of the, the, you know, the arts and sports programs to the cancellation of the transportation services to, uh, you know, there will be significant changes in how our districts have to operate should this occur. Uh, universities will take an additional $107 million reduction. Uh, that is a significant portion of their fund. And I, I know Dr. Tolbert's here and may be able to tell me the number that you've been cut already at the university. About $100 million already. And so this, this number here is for the entire university system. But you're once again talking about a major restructuring of the university system and what they'll be able to provide to the students in the state uh, should this cut have to occur. And <coughs> excuse me. it then goes on. Uh, you know, it touches on the charter schools, it touches on schools for the deaf and blind, uh, the community colleges, um, pu public safety or Department of Corrections will take about a $63 million reduction. And I haven't seen a, someone actually run the numbers on that dollar amount, but I know earlier last year when they were talking about a 15% cut to Department of Corrections, which is about $150 million, they were talking about the need to let out 13,000 felons and that would mean the closure of four prison facilities and the laying off of 2,000 corrections officers. So I don't know if, if those numbers translate down to the $63 million number. It won't be that dramatic at this level, but we can definitely assume that there will be uh, prisoners that will have to be released and the closure of some facilities and certainly the laying off of corrections officers' jobs, uh, which is a big concern for us. Um, the governor worked very hard in this budget to protect uh, both public safety and education and this, these cuts would go very deep into these systems. Um, and then access our healthcare program, which has already been proposed to take a reduction, uh, would take another $114 million. DES, which has already been cut 53%, would take another $50 million cut to state services. And at this point, you're starting to get into programs such as Child Protective Services, uh, and I'll tell you that those programs have already had hiring freezes in place. They've already are managing much larger caseloads than they've ever managed before. They have significant challenges in making sure that they're meeting uh, what they need to do to prepare for uh, the permanency of children. And I'll tell you, they're doing an outstanding job of what they have to work with. But when you go to cuts at these levels, you're going to start to impair their ability uh, to to manage those systems. And so. You know, essentially, it gets back to all of us as citizens of Arizona are going to have to make a decision May 18th or before, if you vote early, on what we are willing to accept and what we want our state government to look like. And it's going to be incumbent upon all of us to share our feelings with our friends and neighbors and our family to help them understand the importance of, of getting out to vote. Um, obviously, our position is that we want to see it pass. Um, oftentimes, in election cycles, those who are most opposed to something are the ones who show up. And it's, it's going to be very important that we, uh, in order to win this, that we have high voter turnout and the people who care about these things in government are there to support it. it and, and obviously, if you're of the opposite opinion and don't agree with us on this, then obviously you, know, you have your right to express that at that election as well. Um, but um, we believe it's very critical uh, to uh, the economic development of the state. 
the governor right now is working very, very hard and very diligently to bring new jobs into Arizona. And she's, she's personally meeting with companies with a lot of really exciting things in the queue that could be coming here and could be happening in our state. But the question she encounters as she's meeting with these folks is, will I have a qualified workforce, uh, an educated workforce, will we have the job training in place uh, long term? And so it's, it's, we believe the economic development of the state also depends upon our ability to maintain the, this structure and these core services in our government. And so I'm going to stop with my presentation there. I don't know how I'm doing on my time. But uh, I, I want to open it up to uh, get some interaction from, from all of you. And uh, I'll do my best to answer your questions. I can't promise that I'll know all the answers 100%, but I'll do my best.